Welcome to Moving Forward. I'm your host, Lynn Swanner. On this podcast, I'll interview forward-thinking Christian school leaders and educators on best practice, innovative approaches, and new opportunities in Christian education. On today's podcast, I invite Eric Ellipson and Dan Behrens, co-editors along with myself of our new book, Mind Shift, Catalyzing Change in Christian Education. We talk about the mind shift process, which involves 60 leading educators from diverse backgrounds. We spent two years together journeying through this process, which is created by Rex Miller, a futurist, and is intended to transform industries. The book, which has been picked up by nearly 11,000 educators since its release in early fall, highlights our learning and shares insights on how to move schools forward in that transformational process. Thanks, Eric and Dan, for being with me today. And of course, we're going to be chatting about our new book, um, Mind Shift, Catalyzing Change in Christian Education. I'm sure, like me, you've probably gotten a lot of questions, just what is Mind Shift? So maybe we can sort of start there and just dialogue and share a little bit with our listeners about what, what Mind Shift means to us and to those who have been involved. Eric, do you want to start us off? Yeah. I think, you know, as, as I think about it and reflect on, on mind shift, you know, and where it came from and, and how it's set up over time, I think the biggest thing that I look at, you know, it's a project that we've done and we've taken on and we've developed, but it's also a movement and a gathering of people who want to think new, want to think differently, and really kind of dig deeper into the processes of what we do and how we do it in schools and especially in Christian schools. Dan, do you want to go ahead and share your thoughts? I think the book is a reflection of the kinds of conversations that we've had as we've gathered people and gone out and looked at outliers, people who are making changes, then reflected on those together and gave ourselves freedom within that process to think about how we could best bring change to impact where we are in the future, institutions we're connected with, and so forth. You know, I think one of the things that's unique about MindShift when we first got started was we see a lot of schools and a lot of educators trying to find technical solutions for things, and the problems are not technical. They're really adaptive. And so I think we've talked about this as tinkering at the edges. Mm -hmm. You know, MindShift really goes back to asking good questions, those, those kind of central why questions, and moves us away from just trying to find those technical solutions, like a better program or a better way to sort of just titrate whatever we're currently doing, but really saying how do we shift the central way that we, we educate, how do, how do we shift the central ways that we continue our mission into the future in Christian education, and that's a real change for a lot of educators because we, you know, I'm included as someone who's done a lot of academic research. We focus on, I want to know what the best practice is. I want to know what the one right answer is. I want to know what works and can be transferred from setting to setting. And, um, you know, maybe we can briefly talk about what's different. Why is this mind shift important right now? what has changed in the atmosphere of education, the atmosphere culturally, that we're moving away from, you know, sort of those best practices that we've always been looking for just aren't working anymore? I think more than ever, people need time to reflect because there are so many things coming at us. And it's in that reflection that we start sorting 
and maybe categorizing and um, realizing the old answers aren't going to work anymore, then it's outward looking to see where is innovation happening, who's, who's doing something different that's being effective. I think, I think, too, we live in a unique time period. You know, you look contextually over the last, in a particular, 15 to 20 years and the, the education reform movement that took place that looked for really significant accountability measures to solve problems or, you know, bureaucratic solutions. You know, Lyndon, you, you and I grew up in particular in this profession with the hope of technology being a significant solution. And, and now, you know, we have a significant, you know, with the recession that happened in 2008, 2009, and then some of the generational shifts that are happening in the profession and some of the concerns about the profession overall. And, and then even we get this sense that these aren't just U.S. issues, but as we've gathered people and as we've traveled to Canada and as we've met people in other parts of the world, these are world questions. And And we live in a unique time where all of these pressures or all of these changes or all of this contextual stuff is kind of coming upon us now. And and I think there is, you know, a a group of people and there are people out there that are yearning for not just like you said, the technical answers, but they're looking and saying, okay, why are we doing what we're doing? And, And how do we do it with quality, but then how do we do it with, you know, just meaningfulness? And so I think that people are set in a very different place than even when I started in this profession, you know, 15 to 20 years ago. So let's just take a second, you know, we tell the story in the book, but Dan, can you tell us specifically about how you met Rex when we all went out to California for an innovation retreat together and Uh, Many of us, along with probably another 30 educators, had a chance to meet him out there. I think meeting Rex was one of those God things. Um, I met Rex through a book he wrote called The Millennium Matrix, and I was compelled by what had been written. So I got in touch with him via email, and he looked up where I lived and said, well, I've come to your town all the time consulting, so why don't we meet for lunch? So he had his own discontents with education. Uh, we discussed those over many a lunch and coffee time over the next several years. And then he said, I'm starting a mind shift to take on the big wicked problems of the world. And I'm starting with uh, education. But he said, would you like to be a part of it? And so I participated in uh, mind shift. And I thought at the innovation retreat, it would be fun to have him meet some of my friends and uh, for my, some of my friends to meet him like uh, Lynn and Rex, so um, uh, we all met. Then Rex explained some of the process he did, and we thought uh, that might be a great way to further the conversation around innovation and change. And so uh, we invited Rex in to lead us and to to help us walk through some of the uh, processing of the things we're, we're working on. Um, one of the pieces for me that was critical was We don't often have these kinds of conversations, but when we do have conversations, there sometimes aren't any artifacts. There's there's really no way to invite people into those conversations beyond the folks who are present on the hotel patio. And so for me, what I was passionate about uh, in terms of mind shift was having some type of artifact, and artifact's not really the right word, but some, some way to continue the conversation to invite other people into it. And so for me, 
that kind of leads to the book. The way the book is structured with the from two journeys, with multiple chapters from machine to human, scarcity to abundance, isolated to network, uh, white to mosaic. And the questions at the end of each really invites readers, invites people who haven't been part of the mind shift process to sort of replicate a little bit of that process in their schools, in their settings, and to bring other folks into it. That, that was really one of the questions I was going to ask you in this process, Lynn, because, you know, very much as, you know, being part of the editing process, but you were very much the designer. And I remember the conversations and in, in going back and forth, and you were the one that said, hey, let's, let's create this place where they have the opportunity to ask questions and the opportunity to reflect. Like, what was your thinking? That's what I'm interested in. To write a book and that was maybe single authored or just a couple of authors, just, just a couple of small voices, you know, singular voices, and to do it in like a didactic way would have been absolutely antithetical to the entire mindship process. That's why the book has multiple authors, you know, that's why the chapters are co-authored, and that's why the three of us are the editors, to try and say, all right, well, we're going to capture tensions and share those pieces and try and replicate the process, even within our own writing. And that is really where the idea of having the reflection pieces come in. You know, one of the huge blessings that we had was to have Andy Wolf, uh, who's with the Church of England Schools, walk alongside us. And he wrote a chapter in the book, but he also mentored us and consulted with us in terms of how do we actually create a process within the book that would encourage that reflection and that dialogue. So I think we've, we've learned a lot from Andy and from the Church of England and, and the vision that they have, the national vision for education, but not just in terms of writing a great document, which it is, but how they actually take that process to schools. And it is about collaboration. It is about meaning making with colleagues and with peers and not simply taking a vision and just implementing it, you know, soup to nuts, but really to say, what does this actually mean? What the process of questioning, the process of reflecting, the process of meaning making within a community of practice is really what I think was modeled for us. And that's what we did in MindShift. And, and I think the book is very different from many of the books that are out there uh, about transformational change because it really is sort of pulling back the cover a little bit on our process and then inviting readers into it as opposed to that singular voice, that didactic voice that we tend to find in most books. It's been kind of fun as I move around different places in my work and I hear people have picked it up. They're using it with various groups. This coming week, I'm going to talk with a school board who's picked it up and asked me to come and to re respond to it a bit as they think about it. Um, I was on a call with somebody in Brazil. He said, oh, I recognize your name. That's the name on that book. And we just got that and, and uh, <laughs> we're, we're reading with our board. And so books are crazy things once they're out of your hands, they go all over the world. But um, my hope really would be, Lynn, that it challenges the mind, it encourages the heart. As Eric said, that people dare to hope and be hopeful in the great hope that we share in, in Jesus Christ, and that it catalyzes change, it sparks them to action. And it, it gives that hopefulness that somebody else out there has actually tried some stuff, and it, and it has worked.
it is working. And if they can do it, why couldn't we do it here? So most of all, I, I hope it's an encouragement to the broader Christian school community around the world. And it's up to, I think, the Holy Spirit to bring it to people's attention. And hopefully they find meaning in it, share it with others, and make change in their context. I think too, you know, as, as Dan talks about that is, and I think it's, it's one of those things we look at the relationships and I think we look at education and, you know, and so often what we do as teachers or what we do as educators is what we do as school administrators. People will talk about the isolation, the loneliness. They'll talk about the things that really kind of set them apart or make them feel like I'm the only one doing this work. I'm the only one with this hopefulness, or I'm the only one with these ideas. And, and, and what we've discovered, you know, through this book and through this journey and through this process is like, there's amazing things happening all over the world. The ways that we've gotten connected into Canada, you know, the ways that we've gotten connected into the UK, like, you know, you mentioned Lynn and, you know, in Australia and now other parts of, of the globe, it's, I think the cool part about this too, and one of the great hopes is that people will, will be invited into relationship and into a larger picture that they realize like there's other people doing this with mm -hmm. me and I'm not by myself. So Eric, I want to read a quote uh, out of your chapter that you wrote with Justin Smith. Christian schools today face a myriad of difficulties related to funding, enrollment, inadequate teacher salaries, programmatic quality, these factors can constrain and eventually close schools. Yet we are also aware of many Christian schools that continue to flourish, grow, empower learners despite existing with the same difficulties. If both kinds of schools are facing the same contextual challenges but with entirely different outcomes, what accounts for the difference? We would contend the general difference is one of mindset and specifically whether a school has a scarcity or an abundance mindset. What is the difference between a scarcity and abundance mindset? What does that mean? Yeah, a scarcity mindset, and, and, and we see it and we live it in our own lives. It's all of the stuff that we don't have. It's all the things that other people have that we don't. It's, it's seeing, you know, the person, you know, across the street who has, you know, this car and that, you know, toy and is going on this vacation, and, and we, we don't have those things. And so we lose sight of actually what we do have. And so, and the abundance mindset is, is one of, you know, really a place where it's like, look at all that I have and what can I do with it? And it's looking at what are the resources that I have? Who are the leaders that I have? Who are the teachers that I have? What are the partners in this process that I have? And abundance looks at things and there's the possibility of actually saying, you know what, look at all that I have and look at how much more it's been given to me because of, you know, the connectivity and the relationships and the understandings between all of the pieces between each other. And it's always interesting. And, and you know, Lynn, this was one of the questions that I was going to ask you in this process is how important is it, you know, as we think about scarcity abundance, as we think about, you know, a closed mindset and an open mindset and the shift from the thinking of the scarcity to the abundance and asking questions, like how significant in this process is it that, you know, we went and visited a lot of different schools in a lot of different settings in a lot of different places under varying levels of circumstances. Um, and, and we saw 
how these people and how these schools were thriving because they had that view of abundance. I mean, that was one of the things I was going to ask you about in regards to, you know, just those visits and those time, that time in other people's space. Yeah. And I, I think for me, the, I think the visits are key. Again, I, I, there's another chapter in the book, obviously from isolated to networked. And I think that our schools, especially in private education, have been set up in an autonomous way. They're very isolated and oftentimes competing with one another. And so by intentionally getting outside of ourselves and going and visiting different places, I've really been uh, captivated the last few years by the concept of imagination. You know, obviously we serve a creative God who's gifted us with imagination. And it doesn't take a whole lot to just even go outside and take a quick walk. And, and look around at the, at the fauna and the foliage and see that, that God is incredibly imaginative and obviously we're made in his image. But I think part of our fallen way of thinking and our cognition and, and our ways of feeling is just what's safe, what's comfortable. And we forget that's not at all the, the mandate that we have from God. It's to, it's to create and to subdue and to improve. And so I think one of the really fantastic things about getting outside of our settings and going and visiting and, and seeing outliers, and, and by outliers, I mean people doing things that we might think are absolutely crazy and, and not understanding how they could possibly work, and actually going and seeing them in action, it reawakens that imagination. It enables us to think, to dream, to perceive threats that maybe we didn't know were there, to reframe things as, as opportunities. You know, one of the quotes in the book that I particularly like actually is in Rex's chapter when he talks about, we need to reframe the challenges Christian schools face right now as opportunities, which can drive teachers and schools to take new risks and pour out into their communities. And I think it's that imaginative piece where we need to be able to think about a challenge that we're facing and recast that and reframe that as an opportunity. So I want to ask the question, we've obviously got the book that's out doing this podcast and we've been writing a bit, blogging and, and doing some of that work. We've written a series of mindship principles, which are on the website, which we'll share in the podcast resources. But what's next for MindShift? What can folks expect from MindShift itself over the coming months? Well, I think one of the fun things that, you know, the crew and the growing crew that is part of this and not just a growing numbers, but it's the the ebb and flow of people who get to be a part of it is we get to go to the UK, right? And we get to be hosted by Andy Wolf and Nigel Genders and the Church of England schools. And we get to hear about the ethos enhancing outcomes and, and their desire and the work that they're doing with peer support networks and the work that they're doing in their schools uh, around the idea of deeply Christian for the common good. And I think so for me, you know, there is this trip that also broadens our perspective and broadens our world and helps us to understand a different culture, a different context, a different place, but with many of the same um, opportunities and challenges. And so that's one place that in particular, um, I think MindShift is going as a project, I, I think one of the, the other places that, you know, we're hoping to invite people in is, you know, we kind of got this and it's just incubating the innovation retreat 2.0 this summer. 
the invitation for people to come to California in teams or as individuals and to innovate together and to really, rather than, and you mentioned it in one of your comments, Lynn, about rather than tinkering around at the edges is to take time and to really go significantly deeper in the innovation or the, the school change that they want to see happen in their context with some people together. And then I know, you know, we've talked about it and maybe you can, you know, add some details. There, there are a whole different set of conversations um, that need to happen around structures of schools and systems of schools that I think that was a lot of ways our original conversation. And so how are we structuring and creating systems that can catalyze not only innovation growth, but the types of, you know, learning environments that, that we want for kids and the type of professional environments we want for educators. I'll add here, we've been doing um, our deeper learning conference for a couple of years now. Our third one's going to be in Denver, February 26 through 28. And so, we're going to have kind of many mind shift opportunities embedded within that in terms of our pre-conference offering. We're visiting a, a local school that's an outlier school. We're doing a couple of other pre-conference experiences. We'll be looking deeply into pedagogy with David Smith um, leading us on a keynote. We'll have a student presentation, again, from a school that has made significant changes in their school culture and how they're working with students. And so I would encourage listeners to consider coming to that. But that kind of work where we're bringing people together who are thinking innovatively, we're very open to ideas as well. <clears throat> I think we, we really just want to keep the, uh, the fire burning and deep adding wood and keep blowing on it and nurturing people who are ready to take a risk, step out, out of that deep love and that deep hope and do something different. And Eric, to go back to what you said, when I look at the MindShift book, I think the process is revolutionary. I think the way of tackling big adaptive challenges is revolutionary and new, but I I still feel, and I think many of us in the MindShift groups have felt that the topics that we're talking about are not tremendously forward-thinking in the sense that they're not controversial. (laughs) You know, there are many controversial subjects out there. You mentioned school structure and how we finance schools, how we structure them, how we organize them are just some things that we have not been able to talk about. There's many controversial societal and cultural questions that it's just not safe for people to talk about. And these are things that I think we have to be able to provide space, again, safe space for us to be able to talk about these things, particularly for younger leaders who are the ones who are going to be, they're going to have to solve for these larger questions. So those are some things that I'm thinking about as areas that we could potentially step into. And I'm not sure, Lynn, if, if, if you coined this term, but it, it kind of came out of our time in Washington, D.C. this past October, was those become, you know, this is the, you know, the mind shift may be part of it, but then there's the mind blown. Um kind of next steps of us thinking about the marketplace issues, talking about the systems and structures, talking about wealth and poverty and who has access uh, to our schools, you know, and, and then just even, you know, some of the, the, the cultural and the ethical issues and legal issues that, 
are buzzing about in, in all of our countries. And how do we step into a place where we can educate and where we can do the great things that we want to do with students and in our schools and in our community, but yet also be a part of the greater you know, societal solution, you know, and bringing about change at a bigger level as well. And, and so I don't know if you coined that term, but the mind blown topics that you're talking about, I think that's some of the stuff that we need to start jumping into because those are the places that I really do think people are afraid to step into because the answers are so murky and unclear and people struggle to, to have those conversations. I think the thing I would want to mention in summary is that we didn't go into this process with a big strategic plan and these were checkpoints along the way that we checked off. I think we had some discontent. We had some hopefulness. We enjoyed the conversation. But most of all, I believe we were led by the Spirit to do certain things, to connect to certain people. God stirred certain hearts to come to meetings, etc. And um, I don't want to give anybody the impression we've got a, a big checklist for the future here. I think it's going to be paying close attention and seeking God's guidance and how the Spirit's going to lead us forward and what kinds of things should be worked on and give us the, the hope and comfort as those issues arise. That it, It's the risk part, right? It, but it's doing it with the, the knowledge that we are loved, we're secure, our future is secure, and um, God holds us deeply in his hand with, with his love. And we get to travel this journey together and have these opportunities together and I can't anything that's more fun than the kind of fun that we've had doing this, this uh, mind shift stuff together. Well, Dan and Eric, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us today and for sharing some insight into the mind shift process and this journey we've been on together for a couple of years now. And for our listeners, thanks for joining us today as well. Please be sure to check the notes on this podcast for additional resources and references related to today's conversation. Podcast notes can always be found on the ACSI blog at blog.acsi.org. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to the blog again at blog.acsi.org, or you can also subscribe on iTunes. While you're there, rate or review the show and spread the word on social media. Thanks for all that you do to move Christian education forward.